Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are, with only eight teams remaining, we look at the keys and make predictions for the NFL Divisional Round, plus a preview of the upcoming NHL season, and who should be the favorites for the Stanley Cup. And reactions from James Harden finally getting traded. It's episode 9 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Welcome again to the latest edition of the Let Me Speak podcast here on Thursday, January 14th. This is episode number nine. We've had guests on the past two weeks. Special thanks once again to my pals Ben May and Johnny Mansaridis for joining me. But we are going back to the basics. I'll be flying solo. And after the picks I made during wildcard weekend in the NFL, I could use some time to self-reflect. I mean, two and four with some of those picks... I mean, to to credit Johnny, if you're listening out there, you're still 3-3, three and three, only one game better, so just be careful. But we're going to try and do better this weekend for the divisional round. Hopefully we'll get a better record. And the four games going on are probably the most exciting matchups of the year, obviously because it's postseason, but we've got eight fantastic teams playing. And we'll start with the Rams and the Packers. That'll be the opening game on Saturday between the number six Rams and the number one Packers. And going back quickly to the Rams Seahawks game in the wild card, what a game that was for the Rams. I mean, so many ups and downs, but there was one constant, and that was that D line. Aaron Donald getting Russell Wilson to force those mistakes. I mean, Russell Wilson only went 11 of 27 for 174 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. And he got sacked five times. That was a phenomenal mark by that Rams defense. And not only that, that, but the run attack for the Rams. I mean, this was a team really known for the air and Jared Goff. But Cam Akers coming in, getting 131 yards out of 164 yards in total. And keep in mind, the Seahawks were the number five rush defense from the regular season. So credit to the Rams. A little disappointed in the Seahawks. They probably could have done a much better job offensively. We know the defense was weak, and that was their weakness. But Russell Wilson, he probably could have done things so much better. But going back to the Rams, this this game is going to be absolutely critical here for Jared Goff because he did not start in that game. It was John Walford. He gets concussed. Thank goodness he's okay. But Jared Goff comes in. And he's just a stationary quarterback. He got your team down the field. But how is he going to be this week when he is the starter? He's going to be starting, but how is that thumb? Okay, He said himself that he is not 100%. So we don't know what's going to happen with Jared Goff if he's feeling a ton of pain, if he doesn't have any pain at all. But that is going to be the big thing. Can he make the throws? With that injured thumb. 
And then obviously we go back to Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, everyone on that D-line has to get to Aaron Rodgers. Okay, they're the number one defense from the regular season for no reason. They have to hold down Green Bay, but it's going to be hard for 60 minutes because the Packers, what they can do is phenomenal. Probably a top five offense in the entire league. Aaron Rodgers, again, an MVP. He's in contention for that award. But I think the big difference is that they are playing in Green Bay. They're at Lambeau Field in January. It's always a tough task, especially for a team from Los Angeles, especially a team from Los Angeles. So I think the Packers got the advantage in that area. I think the run, as I mentioned with the Rams, 164 yards against the Seahawks, it has to be stopped by this Packers defense. They're seventh in pass defense, but they're 13th in rush defense. If you put it together, they are the ninth overall defense from the regular season. So that is going to be the big thing. Another thing is, again, Aaron Rodgers, he's got to stay with that MVP level, but he's got to do what all of the great quarterbacks do, and that's get all receivers involved. Because who do you think is going to be covering Devontae Adams? That's Jalen Ramsey, okay? One of the top defensive backs in the entire league. So you know that he's going to have those opportunities to shut Devontae Adams down. So for Rodgers, you have to go to his other weapons. You got your tight end, Robert Tanyan. You got Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You got Alan Lazard, who are three very capable weapons. And not only that, you got Aaron Jones in the backfield. I think overall, I think Green Bay is going to take this game. It could be a blowout. Obviously, the Rams have a history of being very inconsistent, so we can't really predict what this team is going to look like. But if the Rams want a chance, they have to get to Aaron Rodgers. they got to pressure him like they did Russell Wilson, get him for a bunch of sacks. But for Green Bay, I just think Lambeau Field, January, Aaron Rodgers, it might be too much for the Rams. So I will pick the Packers in that first game. Now for the second game in the NFC on that same day, we got the number five Bucks and the number two Saints. Right now the line is giving the Saints three and a half and the over under with 50. Now before we get into the game, back to the wild card that Tampa Bay beat Washington in. I'm going to give huge credit to Washington for hanging with the Bucks Because, I mean, think of all the things that have happened to them this year. They had their new head coach, Ron Rivera, battling cancer. You've had five different quarterbacks at the helm. Alex Smith coming back from his injury. And Taylor Heineke. I think what he did in that game against Tampa will get him a starting job. For a team that needs a quarterback. I think Taylor Heineke has proved himself to be a starting quarterback. It could be for Washington next year if they want to re-sign him, or a bunch of other teams that are looking for at least that presence, like the Jets or the Jaguars or maybe the Texans if they want to move Deshaun Watson and all that. All the teams that need a quarterback need to look to this guy, Taylor Heineke, because he is the real deal. Now going on to the Bucks. I think there's still questions about this defense. From the regular season, they were number six, but they allowed almost 400 yards to Washington. Now, they did limit them to 86 rush yards, which is good because the Saints have a very aggressive run game. 
If they can shut down Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, all those running backs, they'll be good. The problem is that they are the number one rush defense, but they're the 21st ranked pass defense. Okay? And we know that Drew Brees can pass the ball. We know that. I think there are still questions with that that makes you doubt Tampa Bay just a little bit. And Tom Brady, obviously we know the story about him. He's got almost every postseason record for a quarterback that you could imagine. But he just need, he needs another great passing game. Because the third time should be the charm for Tampa Bay. All right, because Tom Brady threw for 381 yards versus Washington. In total, in the two games this year versus the Saints, 448. Okay, that's less than 100 yards of a difference. So is the third time the charm for the Bucks and Tom Brady? Obviously, people are saying that they're better than what they were the first two times they played them. But again, this is a Bucks team that hasn't really faced as many challengers. I get it. Washington was a big challenge, and they made the playoffs for a reason, but they were still 7-9. and nine. This is the Saints. This is the second overall team in the NFC. And really, for the Saints, this is going to be all about what they can do defensively if they can shut down Tom Brady like they have in the past. Because what they did against Chicago, and I know Chicago doesn't have a good offense, but they held him to 239 yards and 48 rushing yards. Okay? So the what the defense has to do for New Orleans is force the turnovers. All right? They have to force the turnovers and win that battle. First two games between the Saints and the Bucks, six turnovers forced, and five of those were interceptions thrown by Tom Brady. Okay, so that D-line for the Saints has to disrupt Brady. They have to make him feel uncomfortable to get those errant throws. That's the big thing. And obviously, Drew Brees, he's got multiple targets. He can make multiple targets happen. Against Chicago, there were 10 different players with at least one reception. Okay, so I think Drew Brees... I think I think he'll have a great game. I think he's going to have a great game. He's going to outplay Tom Brady. And I think the difference also is going to be Alvin Kamara, if he can get him involved. Because Kamara has been phenomenal these past few weeks. Once they get in the red zone, there is very few that can stop number 41 for the Saints. I think overall, it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to a touchdown. But I think overall, I think the Saints are going to take this. I know... Brady has all the weapons with Evans, Brown, Gronk, Brate, Godwin, all those weapons. But I just think the Saints have the Bucks number. I really do think that they have their number. And I think New Orleans, I think they'll come away with the victory in this game. But then we move on to Sunday where we get to see the AFC matchups. And the first one will be the Ravens and the Bills. And boy, that is going to be exciting. That's going to be a very exciting game. You've got two powerful offenses. But I'm someone who still believes defense wins in this league. Because you don't win championships for no reason. These offenses can perform great. But who makes those big stops is what wins the game. Now Baltimore, what they did against Tennessee, everyone forgot how good their defense was. They're 7th overall from the regular season. Okay, they're 6th in pass defense. 8th in rush defense, and 2nd in points allowed per game. Now, what they did against Tennessee, phenomenal. Now, to be fair, Tennessee was a little one-dimensional in terms of giving Derrick Henry the ball. 
but that was pretty much it. They shut down Henry, then they shut down Ryan Tannehill. They only allowed 209 yards versus the Titans, and only 40 yards to Derrick Henry. You don't think that'll give them a little confidence right there? So that defense, they've got a much bigger task with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. But back to the offense for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, he just needs some more run support. All right, he had he had a phenomenal game that forty-eight yard rushing touchdown in the first half. Whew. Not many guys can make that play. And Lamar Jackson, in the two hundred thirty-six rush yards that the Ravens got, Jackson accounted for one hundred thirty-six of them. So he needs strong running games from Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, all of them. He needs more help. But I'm really gonna look more. At that defense, like I said earlier, I think Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, they're going to have a challenge. And I got a feeling they're going to switch off with Stephon Diggs on who covers them. They'll probably throw a double team here and there. But Matthew Judon, Pernell McPhee, the linebackers, they're going to have to force Allen to make those mistakes. They're going to really have to keep him in the pocket and just get him uncomfortable. Because we've seen Allen, when he scrambles, he can make Houdini plays. That designed run that turned into a touchdown for Dawson Knox, one of the plays of the postseason so far. One of the best. And you have a feeling that Josh Allen is comfortable making those off-kilter plays rather than just stand in and be a quarterback. I think that's going to be the big thing, is that the DBs have to guard Stephon Diggs and the D-line, the linebackers, have to get Josh Allen unsettled. But speaking of... Josh Allen and the Bills, I think their defense still has some questions. And I don't think it's going to get any easier because they allowed almost 500 yards to the Colts. Okay, But I think the big difference in that game was Stephon Diggs. He has become a game changer for this team. Because remember, he was first in the regular season in reception and reception yards. Okay, And he had a great game against the Colts. Six catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. But back to Josh Allen, he just needs to play out of his mind. That's really the thing. He has to play better than Lamar Jackson. Because we're looking at two different quarterbacks. You have Lamar Jackson who wants to run. You have Josh Allen who can run and throw. He can make those big plays. But I think he's got to play out of his mind. And for the defense, Quentin Jefferson, Matt Milano, company, you shut down that run game, you win. All right? But I think this is going to be a shootout. It almost feels like the first team, the 30, is going to win this game. And I think that first team is going to be Buffalo. I think the Bills are going to take this one. Because I just think Lamar Jackson, yeah, he's on a roll. But it's a one-dimensional kind of offense. He's still not throwing the ball for as many yards as you would want a team to be. And I think Buffalo, they made the big stops against Indianapolis. And I think they're going to do the same thing to Baltimore. I think it's going to be close, but I think Buffalo will take this game. And then the last game to round it out, the Browns and the Chiefs. And I said first one to 30 won the previous game. I say this one first one to 40 wins this game. Now, before we get into this game, how about Cleveland? What they did against Pittsburgh. All right. What a first half that was. 28 to nothing. They forced three Ben Roethlisberger interceptions. They didn't even have their head coach and their top defensive back. 
Okay, so imagine what this team can be with those pieces back. Because remember the reports, Stefanski's on track to return. Denzel Ward just came off the COVID list. This Browns team is retooled at the right time. And I think Baker Mayfield, he's really proved himself in this postseason. Remember, there were a lot of critics on him his first couple of years saying, oh, you picked him number one, and he hasn't done anything for you. But this is why you picked him number one. Because he's got a great set of weapons. Rashad Higgins, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, you name it, they've got it. And he's got a tremendous defense as well. He's got defense that can back it up. Now, I think there's still questions for this team for playing a full 60 minutes. Because they let Pittsburgh in for a little bit. And then remember earlier on in the year versus Tennessee, they got a big lead. Tennessee almost came back and won it. So I think the question is, can the Browns play for a full 60 minutes? Now, obviously, it's going to be tough. But I think I've said week and week about the Chiefs whenever I talk about them. You can't trust this defense. You can't trust this defense when you get a hot offense like this. So it's really first team to 40, like I said. And I think a minus 9.5 favorite for the Chiefs, that that seems a little ridiculous to me. That's a little ridiculous to me. Okay, but I think this Browns team is much better than what people think. Much better. Okay, Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, if they can contain this offense, if they can shut down Patrick Mahomes for just the right amount of time, then it's ball game. Then Cleveland can win it. But with Kansas City, they just have to go with what brought them to the dance. I mean, they've only lost. I'll I'll discount the last game of this regular season in Week 17 when they rested Patrick Mahomes. They've only lost one game in over a year. Over a year. Okay, Kansas City should be the favorites, and why wouldn't they be? They've got freaking Houdini with Patrick Mahomes. They've got a multitude of weapons with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, this team has established themselves. If they establish themselves, they will win this game by far. And I think Patrick Mahomes, he just has to play mistake-free. He just can't make errors. No bad throws, no costly turnovers, no trying to make anything too crazy. We know what the offense can do. We don't know about the defense. We don't know about Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew. Okay, because they're the 16th overall defense. And I've said it week and week and week that when you have great offenses like this, which I think the Browns are a great offense, that defense has to shut them down enough so that the offense doesn't have to feel pressured. That's the big thing. That is the big thing. And I think I will pick the Chiefs in this one, and I think they'll get it by double digits but it's going to take a heroic effort. And let's just, need, needless to say, I will not be surprised if Cleveland wins this game. But I think the remaining teams in the AFC are the toughest test for the Chiefs right now because they are three dynamic offenses that can give Kansas City's D a very hard time. So I will not be surprised if the Browns win this game, but I will pick the Chiefs, and I think the Chiefs will win this game. And then I think the Browns for next year, they're definitely going to be the favorites. They're going to be the favorites for a long time. 
All right? And Baker Mayfield, he just needs experience. That's all. Okay? We're not going to treat him like he's Superman because this is only his third year. It's only his third year in the league. So let's not go crazy with the Super Bowl predictions. But overall, Kansas City, that's going to be my pick for this game. And the divisional round, hey, if it was just like the wild card weekend, this weekend should be extremely entertaining for the NFL. Now moving on to our next topic. We've got another season that's getting underway, and that's the NHL. After months of deciding when this league is going to restart, they decided it about a month ago that last night, Wednesday, January 13th, was going to be opening night for the NHL. Now, there are a lot of teams to watch for. And remember, all the divisions got realigned, obviously with travel restrictions because you have some Canadian teams. Obviously, Canada has some travel rules just like the U.S., but we've got four divisions, the East, the Central, the North, and the West. And looking at the divisions early on, that East division looks stacked, okay? You've got the Capitals, the Bruins, the Penguins, the Flyers, the Rangers, the Islanders, and I'll even throw in the Buffalo Sabres as some strong contenders. They looked stacked, okay? And back to Buffalo real quick. I mean, they've got the 2018 MVP of the league, Taylor Hall, teaming up with Jack Eichel. Now, I don't know if it'll be enough this year, but I think down the line, add a few more pieces for the Sabres, I think they'll be back in contention. But one of those teams I'm looking at are the Capitals. Okay, the Washington Capitals, it's not necessarily for this upcoming year, but it's for the future, okay, because this is Alex Ovechkin's last year under contract. And depending on what the Capitals do this year, he might leave and go elsewhere because he is getting up there in age, but does he want to stick around his whole career? Remember, he did win a Stanley Cup for this team. So was that the difference maker? It was about three years ago that Ovechkin won a Stanley Cup. But what do the Capitals have? Can they avenge that first round defeat from back in the bubble? Because they've got a lot of great talent there. They've got John Carlson, Nick Batstrom, Kutzen is off, TJ Oshie, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. I think they have enough pieces where they can finish atop this division once again. Now, the goaltender questions, that's really that's really the only thing that's going to really hinder this Capitals team. Because Henrik Lundqvist, he just had open heart surgery. He's out. We wish him nothing but the best. And Braden Holpe, your star goaltender for years went over to Vancouver. And there are projections saying that Phoenix Copley is going to be the starter in net. But I think that's going to be the biggest question for the Capitals is what can they do with their goalkeepers? Because they have talent, but can they get some on the level of Holby? We don't know that. But I think the Capitals right now, preseason favorites to win the East. But you have some other teams in there. I mentioned the Penguins. You can never bet against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. They always seem to be in it. They usually like take a year off, then they win it once again. I'm not going to count the Penguins out, okay? Some sleepers, I'd probably say the New York Islanders. They got Jordan Everly. I think they've got some talent too. But I also want to look at the Philadelphia Flyers because I think they could make a deep run. 
but it all depends on Carter Hart. Okay, he won the Vizina Trophy last year as a rookie. All right, so is this just a one-time wonder kind of thing, or does he maintain this level of play? And not only that, but they have a nice veteran presence to lead their young guys. They got James Van Riemsdyk, Eric Gustafson, Claude Giroux. Those are the leaders there that can lead you to possibly a deep run. I think the Flyers, they're probably the dark horse, I'd say, right now. No one knows what they're going to look like. But I think the Flyers could make a deep run. They, they could be... There's always that one team that goes on that sort of magic Cinderella run. And the Flyers, they ended last year really well. Getting into the bubble and at the end before the pause. They, they were playing really well. Retooling a few. I think the Flyers could be a team to watch out for. So that's on the East Division. In the Central Division... This is my favorite division because we've got both Stanley Cup teams from a year ago in the same division. The Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars are in the same division. How much fun is that going to be? Now, a lot of people are saying that the Lightning are the favorites to be the Stanley Cup, to repeat the Stanley Cup, and why wouldn't they be? Okay? The problem, though, is Nikita Kucherov. He's out for the regular season with hip surgery. That definitely hurts. That definitely hurts. But I think there's still plenty of talent around them. Vasilevsky in net. Got Braden Point, Ryan McDonough, Pat Maroon, obviously Steven Stamkos, Coleman, Palat. I think they've got most of their talent back. And I do think the Lightning should still be the favorites to repeat. I really I really think so. I can they just maintain their top tier status to get into the postseason cuz we never know Kucherov might be able to come back on that one. But they just attacked. They got some tremendous shooting. They were able to put the puck in the net so effectively during their time in the bubble and they've been the favorites for so many years that you had to think, okay, they got to get it done eventually, which they did. But the same question could be said about the Dallas Stars but they haven't won yet, all right? It just feels like the Stars are, they've gotten so close year after year after year, and they have so much talent. They had a tremendous year in net from Anton Hudobin. They've got Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. They've got so much talent on this team, but yet they're falling short of everyone's expectations. This year could be the year, because you have to think there has to be motivation on that team. There has to be. So I'm watching the Dallas Stars this weekend to see if they possibly have a Stanley Cup hangover. Now moving on into the West Division, I looked at the teams that are in there, and I'd only give probably three teams a legitimate chance to make a deep run. First one, I'd say, Colorado Avalanche. I say they made the best improvements in the offseason. They got Brandon Saad, and they got Devin Tase to pair up with Nathan McKinnon. All right, that's a deadly combo right there. And then you have Philip Grubauer. He's healthy because, remember, in the bubble, there were a lot of back and forth, and he struggled in the bubble. But a full season for the Avalanche, and I think they could find themselves as contenders once again. Second team in that division, the Golden Knights. The Vegas Golden Knights right now are the greatest expansion team in all of sports. All of sports. 
Because remember, year one, Stanley Cup. Year two, postseason. All right, this is one of the best expansion teams. And I will say the best expansion team. And not only that, but they got a tremendous signing in Alex Petrangelo. All right, seven years, $62 million to get him in here. Great move. And not only that, but you're returning, you're returning your four players who scored more than 20 goals this year. Max Pacioretty, Riley Smith, Jonathan Marchessault, and Mark Stone. All right, you return all those four. You got Petrangelo. You've got great reinforcements like Shea Theodore on defense and Ryan Reeves on the right wing. This is a Stanley Cup roster. And right now, I would say in that division, they're the favorites. I would say they're the favorites. But then the third team in that division, I would say the St. Louis Blues. Okay, remember, they've only they won the Stanley Cup a short time ago, about a year and a half ago, when they beat the Bruins. Okay? And most of that roster from that team is still intact. You've got Jordan Bennington in net. You got Jay Boomeister. Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Barbashev, you name it, they've got it. And not only that, but the additions of Mike Hoffman and Tori Krug, I think that helps a ton for the St. Louis Blues. And I would not be surprised if they make the Stanley Cup once again. Because remember, in that Stanley Cup year, they changed coaches mid-year. They were down a little bit in the series to Boston. They came back. They won it. I would not be surprised if they make the Stanley Cup yet again and then of course you have the north division or as i'm going to refer to it the canadian division because there are all the teams from canada in that division and really to me there's only two contenders in that one first one's obvious the toronto maple leafs okay they might feel a little too young but hey you got austin matthews one of the top 10 scorers in this entire league all right and you have Nylander, Vesey, Brody, Spezza. How about Joe Thornton maybe making a difference? You never know. I think they'll help, but I think Toronto right now is the favorite to win that division. And then the second team, the Edmonton Oilers. And they've only got one problem, is that who is their goaltender going to be? That's the big thing. Because you have Mike Smith, who's 38, and you have Miko Koskinen. He struggled in that bubble up in Toronto and in the qualifier versus Chicago. But I think they have enough talent surrounding Connor McDavid. All right, remember, he was the young gun with the bright future. You've got Connor McDavid, but you've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins, James Neal, Patrick Russell, Tyson Berry. They've got a lot of talent up there in Edmonton. And I think those are really the two teams in that Canadian division that I see making a big run. But... These are only predictions. Only time will tell what will happen in the NHL as the season gets underway this upcoming week. Now, our third topic is going to be a topic that I just want to go off on because I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks, and if you've listened to the previous episodes of this podcast, I have been so down on James Harden. But we finally 
got our answers. Our prayers have been answered. The headache for now has been silenced. Of course, the big news from last night, James Harden finally gets his wish. He's traded from Houston, and he's going to team up with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, there's a lot of details going on in this trade, so I'll just I'll tell you who gets who because this was a big four-team trade, and I'll just tell you what each team got, okay? So obviously, the Brooklyn Nets, they get James Harden. The Houston Rockets, they get Victor Oladipo from the Pacers, Dante Exum from the Cavs, Rodion's Kuruks from Brooklyn, three unprotected first-round picks from the Nets for 2022, 2024, and 2026. They also have pick swaps in the years 21, 23, 25, and 2027, and they also get the Cavs' 2022 first-round pick via the Milwaukee Bucks. I know that was a lot, but there's still more. The Cleveland Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince from the Brooklyn Nets. And the Indiana Pacers get Karis Levert from the Nets. That was a lot, so I'm not going to say it again. So let's just dive into this trade. Let's get into the analytics. And my first thought is, what are the Brooklyn Nets thinking? What are they thinking? Did they not learn their lesson from the Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce trade with the Celtics. They gave up way too much. Okay, let's look at the pieces that they had from that trade. Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, aging veterans, way past their prime. They gave up picks that turned out to be Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Okay, and look at what they're doing right now for the Celtics. They're in the top 20. Those two players in the top 20, maybe even the top 10, arguably. Brooklyn gave up way too many assets just to sell out now, okay? They're selling out now, and they gave up their future, okay? I firmly believed that Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, we're going to be your star for the future whenever Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, when they leave. They were going to be the future, okay? And I just think they gave up so much depth. They really did. I mean, I know you have that big three. But who's around you? DeAndre Jordan? Joe Harris? Landry Shamit, Jeff Green? Spencer Dinwiddie? Are these the pieces that you want? Okay, you had a tremendous two-center combo in DeAndre Jordan. You sit him. You bring Jared Allen in. You had it. You had it. Okay? Brooklyn is not smart with this. And I understand that James Harden is the greatest scorer since Michael Jordan. And I say that very strongly. Scorer. Okay? Not player. Scorer. Okay? And his isolation thing, his isolation play has been insane. Okay? But I've said it over and over and over and over and over. James Harden, with his style of play, will not win. Okay? And not only that, but what is that locker room going to be like in Brooklyn? You have Kyrie Irving, who's out of his mind, I think, and has become just as big a distraction as he was with the Celtics and the Cavaliers. And then you have Kevin Durant, who right now seems like the most stable person on that team. 
And then, of course, you have James Harden's antics. But locker room aside, the way those three play on the court is not conducive to winning. Okay? Because you have James Harden, an isolation dribble player. Kyrie Irving, an isolation dribble player. And then Kevin Durant using that 6'10 wingspan to make plays for himself. The only one whose play I could see winning is Kevin Durant. When you put those three together, it's not going to work. And I'm going to make that bold prediction. And this is my hot take of the week. Is that the Nets with all these pieces are still not going to win at all. They're not. You know, they probably won't even get past the Bucks Because those three together will not mesh. And they gave up all their depth. For not only now, but for the future. I just want to get that out of there, out of the nets. But let's talk about the other teams in this trade, okay? Let's talk about the Cavs. I'm wondering why they need Jarrett Allen now. Because they already have Andre Drummond leading them to success. And not only that, but you have Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. at your power forwards. So it's not like you can play Allen and Drummond together. Because you can't. Alright? This tells me more about where the Cavs are going in the future. All right, this just tells me that Andre Drummond, he picked up his option for this year, but he's not going to stay in Cleveland. All right, and remember, the Cavs were successful earlier on in the year. They had a nice record, but obviously they're looking for the future, and they see the great backcourt in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton working better with Jared Allen than with Andre Drummond. All right, and I could see that. I could see that. But that just tells me a lot that, Andre Drummond, he's the leading rebounder in the NBA, but to Cleveland, in Cleveland's mind, he does not fit their system and what they want to do. Now, if you ask me about what the Pacers did, what a great scorer they got in Karis LeVert, okay? You didn't even have to give up that much. All you did was swap Oladipo and LeVert, and LeVert is a tremendous scorer. Remember, this is the leading scorer for the Brooklyn Nets off of the bench as a sixth man with about 18 points a game. All right, Karis LeVert is a proven scorer. And I think the Pacers take that next step. I think they're going to be great with Karis LeVert. But how about the Houston Rockets? Okay, a lot of people are saying that they aren't a good team to win now. But I'm going to counter, and I think that they are. I think they're a good team to get into the postseason. I don't know if they'll be championship contenders, but I think they have enough pieces that they could still make some kind of postseason run, okay? And I would say they won the trade because not only do they have a good roster now, but they are set up for the future with a stockpile of draft picks, a stockpile of picks. And we don't know what Brooklyn's going to be like if this is going to turn to another Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, where they give them up in the next two years, And they get to get a top five pick like the Celtics did. But with Houston, let's let's look at it outside of the roster. Think about James Harden's comments. First off, Harden totally out of line. And I understand it was a tactic to get his way out of Houston. But that is still wrong. You never publicize that. And I side with DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall in their comments is that You're basically throwing your whole team under the bus just to get your own selfish way. 
All right, so I am anti-James Harden with that. I am siding with the Rockets on this one. You take out that toxic presence in the locker room, and it's almost like you can hear all 15 guys just go, <sighs> a sigh of relief that he's gone, and now you have the two Kentucky products, the former teammates and John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins, and all of those weapons, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, they can all relax, and they don't have to worry about the the toxic mess that is James Harden. And not only that, but you bring in a great talent in Victor Oladipo. You get a great backup point guard in Dante Exum. Now, I say great kind of loosely because Exum, he's got an injury history, but when he plays, he's effective. I think this Rockets team is good enough to make a 7 or a 6 seed. I think so. If they can find their groove, get their mojo, because they brought in a lot of pieces. They brought in a lot of pieces, but it's early in the year. There will be time for them to gel together. They really will. And I think Houston, in the next few years, they're going to win this trade. They're going to look back, and they're going to be like the Celtics, where they get all of these assets. It might not look good now, but it'll look good for the future. But thank goodness for now, that we don't have to hear about the James Harden drama with the Houston Rockets. And we can only wait to see what kind of drama that Kyrie Irving and James Harden together will provide for the entire NBA. So now it is time to get local. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And for this upcoming week, we'll preview the season for the Boston Bruins as they open their season tonight against the New Jersey Devils. And with the Celtics rumored to get back on the court in the game action this Friday against the Magic, what is the team going to look like? So let's get right into it and talk about the Boston Bruins. Now, they are one of the teams in in that stacked Eastern Division that I think are going to be contenders, but I think they'll have a great regular season, but just the questions will come to the postseason. What are they going to do in the Stanley Cup? That's going to be the big thing. I think Stanley Cup aspirations remain in the air for this team. And not only that, but you have to wonder what have practices and the environment been like since your star goaltender, Tuka Rask, essentially quit essentially quit in the bubble in Toronto because he felt homesick. That's the big thing because everyone else stayed. You haven't heard of a bunch of NHL players when they got in want to opt out. Tuka Rask was the only player. So you have to wonder if he's really devoted because remember, we're still in this pandemic if you've looked outside your window. We're still in this, but is Tuka Rask still devoted if he still wants to play. I understand this isn't going to be like the bubble and all that, but what's it? where's his dedication? Where is he going to be? All right? Because this team did not play well in Toronto. They did not. The very first game, you know, they were lucky to even get out of that first round because they just did not gel. That team did not look good. Because remember, David Posternock, he basically disappeared. The entire postseason. 
And then Charlie McAvoy. He had all his drama, but he wasn't himself. Now with all the teams back in their respective cities on their home ice, what is a full season with this group going to look like? Now, Patrice Bergeron being named the captain for the leaving Sedano Chara, great choice. I think everyone expected it, but Bergeron, he's had just a tremendous career with this team, and there was no question he was going to be the next captain. And then, of course, you have David Krejci, Brad Marchand as the assistants. I think they are going to be some great voices in the locker room. But also remember the in-season acquisitions that this team got at the deadline. Andre Kase and Nick Ritchie. They get a full season with this roster, with this team. They'll probably get an expanded role. Not only that, but you've got expanded roles for the defensemen like Matt Grizzlick and Brandon Carlo. A lot of defenders with the absence of Zdeno Chara, which we wish him nothing but the best for his time with the Capitals. Tremendous run in Boston. Was the essential piece, I would say, in that Stanley Cup run in 2011. But he was going to be on the fourth line, essentially. So everyone on the defense was going to get that expanded role. And Grizzlick and Carlo, they're those two guys who I think are going to take the bulk load in that first and second line. And then obviously it comes down to the fourth line as well. Don't forget that. Because I think this team has a ton of talent. They have a ton of talent with McAvoy, DeBrusque, Pasternak once he comes back healthy. I think they've got a ton of talent. But the question is going to be when they get to the postseason, can they make it work? Can they get that third and fourth line to maintain pace with their first and second line? That's going to be the big question. And I think we're don't we're not going to get our answers right away in the in these first couple of months or so. Because we know that this team is going to rack up points. They're going to rack up some games. They're going to get some victories. But it's going to come down to what they do in the postseason. It's really going to come down to that. What will this team look like when it's time to fight for the Stanley Cup? We don't know. But we'll probably find out the closer we get to that time. And speaking of teams who have championship aspirations... The Boston Celtics, all right? The big question for them is when are they going to play again? Because they've been off for nearly a week. And I said during the tease that Danny Ainge, the general manager, he's expecting this team to get back onto the court to play the Orlando Magic in the Garden this upcoming Friday. Now, I don't know about that. There are a lot of questions. And there are a lot of questions surrounding the entire COVID surge in the NBA. But you have to believe that this can this can thrive and survive, okay? Because all of the previous leagues have done it. The MLB, the NFL, even the MLS, they had their own formats and they made it work. Now, obviously, it's different because you're in an arena, it's a closer space, a lot more interaction. But I think the NBA is the best run league with the best commissioner in the NBA in Adam Silver. And he knows exactly how to address it. He even said, we knew that this was going to happen. There were going to be some positive cases coming about in the NBA. And that's why he split it from a first-half schedule and a second-half schedule. Because all these postponements 
will be made up in the second half when hopefully there's more stability, more people get vaccinated, etc., etc. Okay? But going back to the Celtics situation, they were playing great. And obviously, why wouldn't they be? They're the top team in that Eastern Conference. They were the top team up there with the 76ers. And I think the key has been Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have finally cemented that role. I think they've got that confidence of it's our team. It's time for us to be the superstars. And they are just grabbing the bull by the horns and they are running with it. Absolutely running with it. I mean, what a stretch for Jalen Brown. I think we knew Tatum was going to have some great games and some great performances. But I don't think anyone expected Jalen Brown to put up 40 points, 30 points, all of that. I don't think anyone expected him to take an even bigger leap. And I think the roster, the way that it's set, is much better than it was a year ago. And I think I mentioned the skeptics about Peyton Pritchard, but he just hasn't let up. I think he's got a great way of finding his shot. And the only question that I'm going to have for him is can he maintain it when it's time to make a postseason run? Kind of similar to the Bruins. They have this talent, but when it comes to postseason play, can they come up in the clutch? Now, a lot of questions will be about this rotation once they do get to play and they're able to get these games going. One of the questions I have is what is that second bench spot going to look like for the big men? Okay, because we know that Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice are going to get that playing time. What is it going to look like now? Because I think seeing what Taco Fall did against the Wizard, having a plus 13 rating against that team, I understand it was the Wizards, but I think he's earned some minutes. I said it on Twitter. I think Taco's earned himself some minutes. And I think now is a better time than ever to get him in the game with some legitimate players you know, rather than garbage time, and to see what he does. I really do, because Robert Williams has played well also. But what's he going to be like? You know what what he can do. You know what he can do. So if you give Taco Fall these minutes, this will give you a gauge on who's going to be that big man, because I know Taco has said he wants to stay with Boston and all that, But if he's going to continue to be this 14th, 15th man who only plays in garbage time, you know he's going to want to go elsewhere. You know he's going to want to go elsewhere. But if everyone is as hyped on him as we hear from Coach Brad Stevens, from everyone in the locker room, if he's as valuable in and out, I say you have to give him minutes. And if he can play well, he could become that key rotation piece. Because what have you been missing? Defense and size down low. If you have that with Tristan Thompson in the starting lineup, then you get that with, you know, even a, even a two combination. If you can get Robert Williams and Taco Fall in that rotation. If you can get them both in there, that's a deadly combo for the Celtics. Now, the second question I have with this rotation is what is it going to look like with Kemba's return? Because Kemba Walker, he's he's getting close and close. They were talking about possibly getting him in on a minutes restriction tomorrow night against the Magic. Now, if it's not then, it'll probably be in the next few days. And obviously, he's going to be on a minutes restriction, but you have to take some minutes away from some guys. And two guys, I hate to say it, but 
Javante Green and Shemi Ojale might be the two odd men out. I know they've been playing great, but I really had questions as to why they were even getting minutes. I think for Javante, it was more of his explosive offense, and for Ojale, it was more of his lockdown defense. But I've got a feeling those are the two guys you kind of have to take minutes away because you have Pritchard on this role. You obviously have Jeff Teague. He's going to be a key foundation off the bench. You have Grant Williams. I mentioned the two big men, Carson Edwards. You have a lot of names. But I think those are the two that are really going to be the big ones that you take away the minutes from because they've been playing great. And you could still play them, but you just can't play them as much as you've done in the past. But I think with this team, when Kemba Walker is back in that rotation, this is your top team right now in the Eastern Conference based on their records. I know it's still early and things can change, but for right now, I think that the pieces that they've got, this is a Celtics team that is poised to run in the postseason. The question is, though, are they going to do it in the postseason? We'll only find out in the next few months. what is this week will be the lol moment of the week the moment that just made us laugh and sometimes even scratch our heads hence the lol head scratcher moment of the week and this one might shock some people because a lot of people would say oh james harden his comments or kyrie irving and disappearing for his sister's part birthday party unmasked those are some nominees but there was one that happened just recently that I've got my eyes on. And this has to be the most accomplished player to ever make the LOL head-scratcher moment of the week. So without any further ado, the LOL head-scratcher moment of the week will go to... LeBron James. Yes, I said it. LeBron James has the LOL head-scratcher moment of the week. And it's not any kind of blooper or anything like that. This was just a fun moment that he had with his team. Now, if you have missed it, LeBron James, in a runaway game against the Houston Rockets, was getting chirped at from his own bench and by his own teammate, Dennis Schroeder. And the thing that Schroeder said was, I bet you won't shoot this three and look away. So what did LeBron James do in a runaway against the Houston Rockets? He's in the corner. He pump fakes. He fires. He turns. He's looking dead in the eye of Dennis Schroeder. And what happens? It goes in the net. Now, a lot of people were wondering, what what was LeBron doing? Why did he do that? Well, it came out in the press conference that Dennis Schroeder had bet LeBron a hundred bucks that's right a hundred dollars that he would not do it and guess what Dennis Schroeder you just got one hundred dollars less in your salary because LeBron James if you ever doubt him for a second he will make you pay I don't care if you're his teammate if you're a critic you doubt him in any sort of way 
you've run yourself into the ground. Now, this is different from the scenarios where we've seen Steph Curry or a bunch of other players do this because this was a taunt at an opponent. And honestly, I am not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of the look-away taunt at another bench because I don't like it. I think that's a little bit disrespectful, kind of similar to the Ravens stomping on the Titans logo. I think that was disrespectful because compared to that, the Titans only came together. They did not dance or stomp on it. They just broke down their team on the logo. They did nothing like stomp on it. But this taunt is different because it was to his own bench. It was to his own teammate. And they were just having fun. Okay? They were they were having fun. And LeBron James, you know, most of the time he knows when to taunt and how to taunt. Where it's just a little flex or just something small of that nature. Okay? Where you have Steph Curry where every time he makes a three, he's throwing up the three fingers and dancing and shimmying and all that. But this is different because he was having fun with his teammates. This wasn't a taunt. This wasn't anything like that. He was having fun. It wasn't a taunt of that nature. But he was just having fun. Okay? And he knew that it was a beatdown. He knew he was beating down the Rockets. He knew this team was going to win. Without a doubt. Because this was the very last game that James Harden was on the Rockets. And there's without any doubt that as long as James Harden was on that team, they were not going to win. And they were going to be completely dysfunctional. But with LeBron right now, he had fun then, and it just looks like he is having the most fun of his career. His entire career, maybe even since the Miami days. Because this, I would say, is LeBron's best team. Because he has got a multitude of weapons, even better than last year. He's got basically all 15 guys, you could say, are capable players. Going all the way to Horton Tucker, who has been... On a lot of teams' radars. Okay, 1 through 15, a multitude of talent. That's what I would say. Because LeBron is having the most fun of his career because he knows this is the best team of his career. And I'll even put that better than the Miami teams that he was on when he won the two championships. So with a turnaround, look-away three that made him $100 richer, LeBron James becomes our LOL head scratcher moment of the week. So that will wrap up another edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. And remember, if you've got something you got to get off your chest, just let the whole world know. Shut up. And let me speak.